God, when I first heard it, so just to give you some background, this is my, this would have been the second full album that I heard from Kate. So first was The Dreaming. And then everyone said, you have to get Hans of Love. You have to get Hans of Love. And so I got that as the second album that I listened to when I got into Kate. Um, I think it was the first, maybe, no, I think Get Get Out of My House is probably the first nightmare I got invited to with Kate. But with (laughs) Waking the Witch, I was pretty shocked that I think I had to listen to it over. It, It was jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't expect like Waking the Witch. I didn't expect like, oh, she's really going into a nightmare. She's really doing it. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> sound effects and affected voices and really talking about Salem witch trials. Basically, I it educated me. <laughs> I'm Cecily Link, and this week we are going to be talking about the third track on side two of Hounds of Love in the ninth wave suite, Waking the Witch. song this week is a fan who has been on the show several times before and in fact some of his written analyses of some of the songs from the dreaming ended up in those episodes we have none other than Daniel Thomas from mm. Seattle <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to talk about a rather nightmarish song oh my goodness yeah I thought uh God, when I first heard it, so just to give you some background, this is my, this would have been the second full album that I heard from Kate. So first was The Dreaming, and then everyone said, you have to get Hans of Love, you have to get Hans of Love. And so I got that as the second album that I listened to when I got into Kate. Um, I think it was the first, maybe, no, I think Get Get Out of My House is probably the first nightmare I got invited to with Kate. But with Waking (laughs) the Witch, I was pretty shocked that I think I had to listen to it over. It it was jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't expect, like, Waking the Witch, I didn't expect, like, oh, she's really going into a nightmare. She's really doing it. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> sound effects and affected voices and really talking about Salem witch trials, basically, I it educated me. Do you remember first hearing it for yourself? Oh goodness, yes. It would have been on Flashback Alternatives, which I've talked about um, quite a bit on the show because that was the radio station that exposed me to some of Kate Bush's deeper cuts and just deeper cuts from the eighties um, in general. 
Yeah, and they're still around. I haven't listened to them in a while because I have enough obscure 80s stuff that I can just put everything on shuffle on my iPhone and I have my own flashback alternatives. Right, you could make your own show, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so I would have heard Waking the Witch on there because a lot of Kate Bush's music is still available to just request from flashback alternatives. And usually you would you would find the song you wanted and then you would request it. And as long as the artist you were requesting or the song had not been played in the last three hours or then you it would appear in the request queue and it usually took an hour for a request to go through and i remember this song coming up i think i might have been in my dorm room because this was like early college so like 2004 ish when i was really listening to flashback alternatives and it would have come up just randomly and I had I knew who Kate Bush was, and at that point I couldn't stand her voice, and so I would just turn down my speakers when it would come on. And this one, I had <laughs> no idea the context of this song, but it came on, and it was just like, "What in the hell is this?" Yeah, what is playing? Who requested this? That would be my next question. Who did this to me? Either it was a request, or it just came up on shuffle on the big uh -huh. massive playlist that DJ Ed has on Flashback Alternatives. And it wow. was just jarring, especially because the music around, the, the, the song before and after sounded nothing like this. It would have been like some sort of, I, I don't even remember what played it, but it would have been something from like a synth pop group. And suddenly we get to this and it was just like, what is this? And I did not know what it was. I had not at that point even heard the full album yet. I didn't hear the full album until I bought it in Hawaii for like a dollar from a thrift store and finally got to hear the whole album. Be like, oh, yeah. Wow, okay, that's so a great story. I know. <laughs> a and thrift store in Hawaii for a dollar. That's great. That's yes. Great. One of the probably one of the first press CD pressings. I still have my CD because when you look at the side, it's really thick. Oh, yeah. There was a difference in the early days. Yeah. Mm hmm. Like, it looked like two very thick layers all glued together, whereas, like, CDs these days, if, if people buy CDs, <laughs> then you look at the sides and they're so thin. But these were, like, thick. So this was probably one of the first pressings, and it had been well-loved, I could tell. And so with Waking the Witch, I'll admit, I don't have a lot of personal connection to it, but after reading what Kate has said about the song... I actually have a greater appreciation for this and especially like given like my own, actually I have a bit of a connection to witch trials, which I'll get into a little bit later. Oh, wow. That's great. I'm interested to hear what she said about it because, you know, like a lot of Kate songs or albums, we don't have that much sometimes. And I don't know that I've heard her talk about this song in particular. No, she hasn't talked about the song a whole lot. She's talked a lot about Hello Earth or Jig of Life and, and Dream of Sheep and some of the other ones. But she, this one, um, this is actually from a uh, classic albums interview that aired in 1992. Um, she says, These sort of visitors come to wake them up, to bring them out of this um, dream so that they don't drown. Wake up. My mother's in there, my father, my brothers, Paddy and John, Brian Tench, the guy that mixed the album with us, is in there, Del was in there, 
Robbie Coltrane does one of the voices. It was just trying to get lots of different characters and all the ways that people wake you up. You must wake like, you know, when you, you sort of fall asleep at your desk at school and the teacher says, Wake up, child. Pay attention. Come on. Wake up. Wake up, love. helicopter anywhere and in the end I asked permission to use the helicopter from the wall from the Floyd this is the best helicopter I'd heard for years <laughs> I think it's very interesting the whole concept of witch hunting and uh, the fear of women's power um, in a way it's very sexist behavior and uh, I feel that female intuition and instincts are, are very strong and um, are still put down really um, and in this song, this woman is being persecuted by the witch hunter and the whole jury, although she's committed no crime, and uh, they're trying to push her under the water to see if she'll sink or float. Ooh, uh. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's some great imagery and some frightening imagery, the way she portrays it. Because like we've said before, she's so... At least I know, I'm sure I share this with other fans, that she kind of turns on a little cinema in my brain. Yes. There's a lot of the songs that she has that she's so descriptive and doesn't need much much vocabulary to get you there. And the lyrics and the music to the song together, they really paint a picture. And it's mm-hmm. just, you kind of see how ugly it is. Because, I mean, it's, at the time, like, let's be honest, it was, it was the scandal of the time. It was the government oppressing women. That's what it was. I mean, yeah. we don't have evidence like, wow, they really were supernatural. Like, we don't we're, we don't talk about that. We talk about it in the history of this is what government has done to women or subjugated people. Mm-hmm. And I think within the context, I know for me, like, I think that it, it's interesting having a song like this in, some, in the context of the ninth wave because – now she's talked about it being about a woman who's going through nightmares as she's trying to keep herself awake in the water. And this, like, especially the way that this song was performed live for the Before the Dawn, it makes it clear that, yeah, this is like she's in the water and she's dreaming all this. But then she could also, also like, I feel like it could be interpreted as her looking at a past life as well. I've always thought that I've always thought that this was that the universe or however you want to say it, that it was showing her you either this happened to you or you were there. Yeah. Because it sounds like a it sounds like she's reliving something that she'd already done as opposed to watching something. Because the way that she arranges the vocals and the things behind her, she can hear people talking about her. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's saying oh my God, they're burning the switch. Like they're lighting the fire and like they're, you know, the crow, the imagery of the crow and like drowning and everything. She's not saying she's watching it. So she's putting herself in a position that she's experiencing it. But I always thought, is it a dream? Is it her subconscious? Like what, what's happening? But I always kind of settled on like past life. 
mm-hmm. type of idea because it's it's one that it's sandwiched between two songs that start different stories. And I feel like this is the middle part of the story of the ninth wave. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a break from the other two because it has to tell a different story. That's how, I don't know, that's how I always see it with the past life. And even like the previous song, Under Ice, I've always, I've always seen that as her dreaming that maybe she's fallen, that she was skating and that's how she ended up in the water. But I've heard other interpretations even too, that it, it's, that this is how she ended up in the water. But then when Before the Dawn, they make it clear, like the whole thread of the story is that there was a shipwreck, the Celtic Deep, and she's a shipwreck victim. So. Oh, it's such great vivid imagery. That's so great. It's oh, I know. So what is it? I mean, you said that the first time you heard the song that it was like, what the hell kind of thing. So what else is very striking to you about the song to make that when I kind of reached out to you and said, what are some of your favorite Kate songs? And you put this one as one of your favorites. Yeah, I think, see, there's a lot of songs, there's a few songs in her discography that you really, I think you get information about her personally. Because, I, you know, as I've said before, when we were talking about the dreaming, Kate is not one that tells her own story. No. Very few times do you see that. But I think Waking the Witch is an insight into what she might believe. So I think she might actually believe in past lives. She also, I think by Waking the Witch, it represents that we're connected in a way we, that is so much bigger than us. I mean, if if you put it in today's context, like the whole thing about people, um, you know, with we have to recognize about trans rights or we have to recognize about um, sexual assault with women, like we all are responsible for that. We are all affected by those things because we're all human and we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And I think this part of the song says, yes, you have a life and there's someone that's missing you. And there's someone, you know, that's living, that's waiting for you to come back. But you're also connected to this world. You're connected to this earth. You're connected to everyone in it because we've all had, if we hadn't been at the Salem witch trials, We've experienced in our life something like that where we're being persecuted for something that we just are. Mm-hmm. And so I think it goes a lot deeper, like to say, I'm not making a religious statement here. I'm making a human statement and saying, we're all responsible for each other and we all have pain. We all have experiences that have taken us away from being human. And I think this is the moment where she's saying, like, if there's any message that I want you to get from a woman drowning and being poetic, this is the message that I want you to get is that we're connected in a way, ways that you, none of us understand. Mm. So that is the, that is the point where I just really appreciate. I feel like she's trying to give a personal thing for that. Um, also Kate, I don't, I mean, when I think of waking the witch, there's a couple things that I always associate with, which is get out of my house because they're both terrifying. Um, But not much sounds like this song. No. Like if you, if you go through each of her albums, you're like, 
does she have Awakening the Witch on this album? Like, you basically will say no. The, probably the closest thing you could say is the dreaming with pull up the pin and mostly get out of my house. Because that's, a, I mean, we've had that conversation. Like, that's, that's a whole different thing. And then going forward from that, maybe Big Stripey Lie, I mean, in the future, that it might be a little bit, it, nothing comes near this. I mean, I heard it on headphones. Like, sometimes they should put warnings, like, not explicit lyrics, but like, don't listen to this on headphones for the first time. <laughs> like, <laughs> get out of my house would have that, and Waking the Witch would have that, because I always listened. This would have been in, in fall of 92, so it would have been near Halloween, and it would have been dark, and I always had candles on and, like, you know, headphones and listening to new music and everything. And I thought, is this the way the rest of the album is going to be? <laughs> like it, just seemed, <laughs> it just seemed heavy, and it was like her voice is so affected. And... What would this be like on sheet music? <laughs> well, actually, like, there is sheet music for this song, believe it or not. Really? I've never seen it. I, I don't know what it would... I mean, what would you put on there? Well... It's all um... artificial. It's all, <laughs> it's all affected. I, I really could... I really would be really hard-pressed if I were asked what instruments did she use on it. I would really have a hard time saying anything but the Fairlight. Well, actually, the there the she music for this song was uh, first done in a book called Kate Bush Complete, which I have a hard copy of, and it has the vocal lines and chord names for all of her songs through Hounds of Love. And wow. Yeah, and so I'm actually looking at a digital version that was on uh, the, the world of Kate Bush.blogspot.com slash P slash Kate hyphen Bush hyphen complete hyphen book dot HTML. Like somebody went through and scanned this book. And I found a hard copy wow. of this from like 10 years ago. I found it for dirt cheap in a music store, and it was like the only copy left. Um, the she music for this song says it's only one chord. I mean, not that there's, yeah, it's not all about the chords. It's about like the different noises. And there is a melody line for the red, red roses, pinks and posies, um, help this black bird. <laughs> and then it's just got um, what looks like percussion marks for the, the spoken parts with the demon or the in the song. Yeah, it's not a very complicated. <laughs> it just kind of just gives you an idea. Mm hmm. And but no, there, there. It this song is so much about the sounds and creating this very frightening atmosphere. Well, I think that's I think that's what strikes me so much that puts me puts it as one of my favorites because she does, you know, back when we were talking, you know, I'm always referring back to the dreaming and Hans of Love and vice versa because I think they're you know they're so closely related. It's like, here's one movement, here's a second movement. Like, you just can't really separate the evolution of her music with those two albums. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we were talking about Pull Out the Pin, we were talking about individual, you know, instruments. We may not have known what instruments they were, but you could hear, like, this 
she did something to this instrument to make it sound so big or, you know, sound effects she imitated or whatever she did. But with Waking the Witch, you can't tell what she did. And it creates more like a feeling or like a, not a foreboding, but just like a really creepy something really bad is going to happen or is happening and you can't really pinpoint why you feel that way it's just the whole feeling that the music that the whole song itself gives and that it's really effective I mean when you when I listen to it now of course I love the song but when I listen to it now on headphones I just kind of get immersed into this like kind of shield not shield but like covered in the song Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like all over me. Like it just, it's kind of like a chill down my spine, mm-hmm. you know? And I just enjoy that it's one of her most cinematic, I think it's one of her most cinematic songs that she's recorded just because of that atmosphere. I mean, it puts all these, all this black space and you just fill it with really frightening imagery. So that's why I like it so much. And it gives that to me every time. Like, it's not something that's diluted. And I was really impressed that she, I don't know why I didn't think about this before, because anyone can affect their voice, but I was really impressed with her um, that all of those, I think I read somewhere that all of those voices are just her voice affected. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really great. Like, God, it's so creative that she's she can hear herself do do that. But then I think a little bit too, seeing Kate Toomer, I think it might have made her laugh a little bit to make her voice that deep and that weird. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> it, it seems like she has that type of humor where she's like, she would play it for someone and say like, listen to what I did to my voice and just kind of giggle about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are, there are definitely a lot of different things that she's done with her voice on this song. Like, like the when the drums immediately come in after you, oh, look, who's here to see you. And it kind of pauses and the drums come in and there's like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure. I can't be completely sure, but I think that the effect that she's using on her voice is called a noise gate. And it has to do with making your voice sound, sound kind of like it's a megaphone, like it's coming through a megaphone. But then uh, what a gate does is it like cer- at certain points in the sound it'll just stop and so that's why you get this like oh oh yeah that makes sense okay like yeah um i mean gate i mean goodness like gated that gate kind of um effect has been you was used on a lot of songs in the 80s that's how you get this like like it just sucks Mm -hmm. the sound back in at least that's the way i understand like i've used i've experimented with noise gates before and they're it's a very cool effect to use, that's for sure. Yeah, that's part of it. I I love that voice that she does. I love that that in the background and you know the I don't even know who it would be. I never thought of it like the one who's accusing her of being a witch. So 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have been a judge or like a, you know, probably would have been a judge priest or something. I don't know, like you know, but whoever that is, that character that she makes, mm-hmm. that's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, there's of course her on the vocals, um, but she does have, of course, there are other instruments in there. Like there's Charlie Morgan who plays the drums. Del Palmer is playing the Fairlight bass, so there is some Fairlight, of course. Um, Alan Murphy is playing guitars, and Kevin McGalley is playing synthesizer sequences. So that's probably, I imagine, like, under the, listen to me, talk to me, where it's gated, and there's like the... (laughs) And other sounds like there's like a... Right before she sings Helpless Blackbird. And then, of course, the helicopter with kind permission of Pink Floyd, the wall. <laughs> Perfect. I know, right? I, I've, never, I've never come up with one, but I, I thought it's probably just a random thought because I've never come up with any connection, but... Um, I always thought of pull out the pin and waking the witch being related from hmm. that part because you hear the helicopter at the end of both songs. I think it's just coincidence, but I'd like there to be a connection, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think there is, but both of those songs that I love so much, they have, they both have the helicopter, um, which if you think about the helicopter and pull out the pin, it's about uh, destruction. Those are enemy helicopters. But in um, Waking the Witch, they're trying to save her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a different reason for it. But, um, God, that helicopter, I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's what we associate with it. But um, that helicopter sound in both songs is so effective. Yes. <laughs> And it, you know, when it's driving you, the thing about Waking the Witch is that it's driving you to the next song. Mm-hmm. And it kind of blends into, you know, the next song and like prepares you for something different because, you know, I thought it was like a detour. I don't know, also you could say, about uh, waking the witch and talking about witch trials and what has happened, at least she gets to escape that. That isn't her fate anymore. She doesn't have to die as a witch. She she can go on and, you know, this is a part of your life. Even the bad part is just a part of your life. The things that you've experienced, like maybe you weren't tried as a witch, but you had to go through other things and that's part of your entire life just as someone waiting for you at home or appreciating the earth, whatever it is, like it's just part of your life. So it just makes you appreciate when we finally do get to the end of the album. Um, no matter what I've gone through, I'm, I'll be fine. I don't know if that type of hope is 
I mean, and I'm not disparaging her, but a lot of times that type of hope isn't available in her songs. You know, um, pull out the pin isn't a happy ending. The dreaming isn't a happy. The song, the dreaming isn't a happy ending. Um, get out, get out of my house certainly isn't. Even sat in your lap, she doesn't resolve anything. Hounds of love, did she stay in love? I, I don't know. Did the people in running up that hill resolve their relationship? I don't know. But I think another reason why I love this song so much is that it shows you like, yeah, it was horrible to be burned as a witch, but you're not that anymore. You have available available to you is so much like, look, there's like, we're going to talk about there's someone waiting for you at home. You have something to go back to. So don't give up. Like you're freezing in water. You're unconscious, but don't give up. It's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a great part of the song because it makes you appreciate what comes after. So yeah, it's scary, but, and but you know, it's, it's necessary. It's very necessary to have that, um, to have this scary part in it because it is scary. I just keep saying that. I just it is so. It's, just, <laughs> it's really you don't hear that in you know. Pick an album from 1985 <laughs> that's on the shelf next to Hounds of Love, and you're not going to find anything that sounds like it, especially Waking the Witch. Mm-mm. You might find something as dark, but you won't find something that sounds like it or talks about Salem witch trials. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of the theme of this song, and again, like, I didn't have a a lot of personal connection to this song, and so I did kind of rank it a little bit low as far as favorites from this album, but I'm willing to change that and make this a little bit higher, because based on, especially on what Kate has said about the song, and what this song especially reminds me of. So, in, um... Where I live in the Virginia Beach area, there, is, there was a woman who lived in the 16 to 1700s. She lived in an area called Pungo, which is very remote. Um, it's still remote to this day. Like, there's really not a lot around it. You have to kind of go for 30 minutes to get in to go to the supermarket, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it's like way out there, Pungo. And there was this woman named Grace Sherwood. And Grace Sherwood was she had a farm she had a husband she had sons and she kind of did things a little differently from everybody else like she was known for using herbs to heal people she was also she also wore pants when she was gardening instead of wearing dresses which made people oh wait and now it should be said like in the late 16 in the 1600s and 1700s in virginia there were nobody ever was killed for being a witch. Now there were there were people that were that tr- they tried getting people bringing people to trial and and prosecuting them for witchcraft, but nobody ever died from it. It's so very much unlike Salem. Like nobody has nobody has ever been killed in Virginia for witchcraft, but in Virginia, they made it pretty pretty clear early on that okay, we are not going to allow people to we are not going to do what the new englanders are doing and killing people for it in fact if you accuse people of being a witch you're gonna get prosecuted for slander like they made it very clear like early on like no we are not going to go that way because this is going to be very divisive but it's but accusations of witchcraft still happened but nobody ever died from it 
And in the rural areas, especially where Pungo is, those kind of accusations were more common because people were poor and you didn't have a cultural elite to tell you whether things were right or wrong. So Grace Sherwood, she um, she was accused of witchcraft once because somebody thought, oh, you did something to my goats. And they took her to trial. She was like, okay, what the heck, guys? And that got that got thrown away. And then she got accused again. And then that got thrown away. The third time, she there was this other woman who accused her of bewitching her and causing this other woman to miscarry. And that time, they brought her to trial, and they um, and to try and um, figure out whether she really was a witch, they tied her up and ducked her in the water. And so the idea was that if they ducked her, and she floated, that meant that the water was rejecting her because she was evil and so she was a witch. And if she sank, that meant she was a witch. And oh yeah, by the way, you would have a you would have a dead person on your hands because she just drowned. <laughs> and so they ducked her. And actually before they did that, she said to them, and I, I need to pull up the quote because it's just I read this and I thought, oh my God, you are so badass. Um, <laughs> she said that um, something about like before the day is done, I pray that you all have a worse ducking than I. And so they threw her in the water and then she, of course, floated because, duh, she f throws somebody yeah. in the water. They're going to float <laughs> whether they're a witch or not. And then as she was coming up to the surf, when she came up to the surface, suddenly it started really raining. And by then there were a bunch of onlookers because everybody's hearing about, oh, yeah, they're going to duck a witch, duck the witch, duck the witch. And it's kind of not known what happened to her afterwards. They think that she probably just languished in jail for about eight years. Who knows? But she spent the rest of her life then just on her farm. And in recent years, um, they named a road in Virginia Beach. And anybody who's listening, and you, you probably know what I'm talking about, Witch Duck Road. I'd always wondered where the name came from. And it was named after, because that was, that road is the road, paved road that she took from the courthouse to the, um, to the water where she was ducked. And so they call it Witch Duck Road. God, that's a fantastic story. I know, right? And to think, like this was obscure until the like. She's the immortalized 70s. in the on the uh, by being the road being named after her. Yeah, and also she has a statue. She has a statue outside um, one of the one of the hospitals in Virginia Beach, and she's uh, she's got a rat in her statue. There's a raccoon, and she's holding rosemary because she was a friend to animals, and she was also a healer. And there's a legend that says that she came from England carrying a rosemary plant in an eggshell and so ooh that's how we got rosemary in virginia and so yeah like this whole story this this woman and so every time i hear waking the witch i think of somebody like grace sherwood or grace sherwood because hey i'm from around here this is the story with her and hey a little shout out for virginia beach <laughs> yeah a little shout out that's great i think um it's really interesting to know I know she, you said she had a husband and, and a, a son, I think you said. Yeah, she had three sons. Um, <laughs> three sons, okay. But it's interesting to note, anytime that people talk about witchcraft and like, you know, at that time of the Salem witch trials, and that's what we think of when we think of witchcraft in America as, as it's beginning, 
of how they always depict witches. Mm. They always pick, depict them manless. So you're an old Ooh. crow, no one wants you. Mm-hmm. They always put you as old. Old beyond old. Like they're always mm-hmm. just warts and wrinkles and like all that. <clears throat> Living alone in a secluded place and holding the secret knowledge that is that is uh, deadly because no one can predict what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they're kind of predicting the idea that a woman wants is that you can't be happy or a part of society without a husband, without your looks, without your age, without your youth, and without being a part of the conventional part of society. Yeah, definitely. So it's so unfair. <laughs> like, it's kind of this idea that if you go anywhere from the norm or out of what we expect from you, then that's cause for alarm or that's cause for persecution. And see all those women who, and all the most, all those people, except for one. And it's actually like the only guy who is, per, who is murdered during the Salem witch trials. I happen to be very distantly related to Giles Corey and all of them I've were never women. thought of that. Yeah. I've never thought of that, that a man would have been accused of witchcraft because you never hear of that. Yeah, but they were, they, and indeed they were mostly women and they were women who were a little different from everybody. Like maybe they dressed a little differently, like in case of Grace Sherwood, or they maybe decided to think for themselves a little bit and people just, others would accuse them of witchcraft and especially in New England, like if there was su- supernatural evidence, that was taken as fact, even though even if it really wasn't. <laughs> but in Virginia, and that was actually another difference I read about with Grace Sherwood, that in Virginia, you couldn't s- present something to court that was supernatural evidence. People would just go, ah, pff, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> That's not mm-hmm. true. Um, I wonder also, I had heard rumors I, I think they're true that she had considered making a film of the ninth wave. Yes. And the imagery that I get from the song is very straightforward. It's very much Kate being back in time at the Salem witch trials and enduring the drowning or what the ducking. Mm-hmm. Like I very much see, you know, the, like a kind of scarlet letter type type of like look and just you know everything set up in the woods or something and like church people around her condemning her and you know whatever she went through but it's a very straightforward thing is that like what type of imagery would you get if you thought wow if she made a video for this or if she did this as part of a film like what is it that you see that you would put on camera that you would put on screen i would picture something similar to how she did on before the dawn but more like in the time period so i would picture something like a courtroom and people dressed in 16th 17th century attire and playing out 
a trial and especially at the end with you know help this black bird that final black bird that this woman is being carried away screaming and then it just kind of like fades away a little bit that's what i would have pictured that's the image that i get when i hear this song because if there if there were ever something i could i i mean there's a lot of things i'd like from the kate universe but (laughs) one of them i mean we've said that before of how many things like i wish we had this but um, probably one of the top things that I could ask for is that if she actually filmed the ninth wave of the film. Mm-hmm. That I think was the, like, that would still, they could still do that. They could still make that work, even if she doesn't want to be on screen or she does for some of it. I, I don't know. If she did that as a film, I think still that would be one of, the, like, a crown jewel in her career. Mm-hmm. I mean, these songs are just sing them and like just film them. Like they tell their own story. You don't really need to do much. Yeah. <laughs> just set up the scene, <laughs> put the scenery there, play the song, and let it happen because it's already written. Um, but Waking the Witch, I think, would be pretty. Um, you know, and now I have images because I heard I heard that song in '92 for the first time. So now I have like kind of scarier images <laughs> because. <laughs> I've seen more horror movies and I've, you know, had more time to listen to the song and like other things come up. Um, but it would be a really powerful thing to put on screen. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting too, of who would play. If, if it weren't Kate, I wonder who could play, <laughs> who could play <laughs> the witch. That would be great casting. If we could come up with the, with the casting for that video. Um, I don't, I don't know who could handle that, but um, it would be interesting to see. So when I was a kid, my family and I did a trip into New England. Um, we went to New England and we also went into Canada. We actually stayed on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. And I can't remember if this was on our way up there or on our way back. But either way, we stopped at Salem because I'd read about it in history class and we were, we were coming through, you might as well. And I felt utterly creeped out walking through there. There was just this, this I felt uncomfortable in my skin. Like I just wanted, oh, yeah. I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. And then finding out later through genealogy that Giles Corey or Giles Giles, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, that I'm distantly related to him. And he was the only man accused of being a witch and killed during the Salem Witch Trials. Then that made sense. Like It was like I could just, it's no wonder I felt weird there, you know? Do you consider yourself an empathic person? Mm. Oh, definitely. Because I'm very empathic. I I am affected by things like that, like vibes and like, I can still feel what happened here. Mm-hmm. There's just this energy and I just, I feel it and it's just, uh, it just creeps me out. Yeah, I could see, I, I'm, I'm sure I'd have some kind of similar thing because that's, I don't know. Energy, no matter what you call it, it doesn't leave places. No. 
like I think once once something really drastically bad happens somewhere and it's associated with an area, I really don't think it leaves. It whatever energy or spirit, whatever you want to call it, and I think that the even though maybe people didn't know it at the time, but the Salem witch trials became a symbol of I mean, we still say witch hunt. Yeah, we do. That's still part of the language hundreds, hundreds of years later. It's a stain on our history that we that we, you know, targeted a group and said, You're horrible because you don't fit what we're doing. Or we can't punish you for what we'd like to punish you for, so we're going to invent this witchcraft thing and say that that's what you should be punished for because we can all agree how bad it would be to be an evil person. Yeah, it's a stain. <laughs> and things don't leave, you know, the areas when they're committed, you know, over and over. Speaking of things not leaving places, according to people who still live in the Pungo area, if you look over Witch Duck Bay, where Grace Sherwood was thrown into the water, you can still see a strange moving light that they say is her restless spirit. And it always happens every July. And it was in July that she was thrown into the water. So I, I don't know. I believe that. Wow, kind of that's stuff. crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Another shout out for Virginia Beats there. Hey. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't going quietly, I take it. No. I mean, I get the impression that she was very much a woman that – like a lot of the women who were accused of being a witch, that she didn't take crap from people. <laughs> she was like, I'm doing my own thing. And unfortunately, she got into trouble for it, like a lot of the other women who were accused of mm. being a witch. Even, well, dude, but it was mostly women. Really looking, looking at what Kata said about the song and even just me you know, everything's sinking in with this, uh, with Waking the Witch, that it feels kind of feminist in a way. That's like she, it's it's this very striking commentary on women's spirituality being repressed. And for me, I see it also as like the need to wake up what's really inside of you and just let it be free, <laughs> whether people like it or not. I was going to bring... I was going to ask you that. That's it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. Um, <laughs> we had talked before about, I think it was when we were talking about coffee home ground, and we were talking about anxiety, and I said she must have been extremely anxious of the pressure that was being put on her to project her sexuality in a certain way, and we talked about the photos that she didn't want to take, and then. You know, for never forever, she said, my photo session is going to be me dressed up as a bat and I'm not going to play into Yeah, I need to be a pinup because I don't need to be a pinup. I need to be what I feel. And right now I feel like being a bat. It's my prerogative. Um, I think in a very quiet but very poignant way, she's always spoken about um, not as much as. I mean, this might be another conversation, but I don't think she's spoken up so much for femininity. I think she's spoken up for feminism. Or at least like the I, need, the, the desire to like empathize with other people and like try to understand 
where other people are coming from, especially in which I something I think is especially on like something like running up that hill from the first side. But like each a lot of her songs are about telling something from a different point of view. And so she's like I think she's very rare as a singer songwriter, if you will, even though she's not in the traditional like girl with a guitar kind of sense. But she's always looking for different viewpoints and figuring out how to see the world through how, how other people do. And that's something that's very rare among just artists in general. Because so many artists are like, oh, this is about a boy or this is like whatever. This is, mm-hmm. no, this is a lot deeper than that. Like each of her songs are so much deeper than what you would usually hear. Another, like talking about that, I think another thing that makes such an impact is that I think her desire to tell other people's stories are because she has a desire to know for herself. It's not just a curiosity. It's really empathic. Like, I'm really curious to know what that was like from an, from experiencing it. Mm-hmm. I I want to be in the thick of it with you. Like, if she had... I think if she had the chance to go to Vietnam with the reporter from Pull Out the Pin, I think she would have. Mm-hmm. Because her curiosity goes into, we are all connected. We, we do share experiences that look different, but they're the same journey. Absolutely. So going back to the way she starts the album of Hounds of Love, what if our positions were, were reversed? What if I could go to a place that says, I don't know what it's like to be a man. I know what it is to be in a relationship with a man, but I've never been a man. But what if I could take a minute and understand where you're coming from when you say, I don't feel man enough. Mm-hmm. And I could actually sympathize with you and we could better understand each other. So the way she starts that the album, and if you kind of go through every song, if we could understand either what we're going through, that other people have done it, and that this is survivable, or I could turn to someone and say, did you ever have an instance when you were going through this? And they say, yes, and this is what you should know. Because we help each other, and we all experience the same journey. It just looks different. So with Waking the Witch, it's like another thing. Like, don't think because something happened 500 years ago doesn't mean it's relevant today or it's not relevant to talk about, to learn from. So I think, but I think she would never be that person that's like, look at what happened at the day of witch trials and this is terrible and you can't do this and we need to write it. She's not that type of person. Mm -hmm. Again, she's the person that's going to go in and say, I'm going to tell a story about it. But if you really listen to it, if you really listen to the nightmare, it's going to pay off because you have empathy. You have empathy for yourself and you have empathy for other people. Thank God, people go through things sometimes. They go through really horrible things sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you never know what people are going through at any one time. Anybody just pass on the street? Yeah, they could be going through their own like version of you know something like a witch trial. You never know. You never know. And we all have been, we all have had moments where we're like, this is probably the worst thing that's happened to me. 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm feeling really awful. I'm going through really terrible things. But we all we all do, and it's not like, oh, we all go through that. It's just part of growing up, or like that. Everyone has something. Like I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying like, yeah, everyone has something, and we all are like, we all need comfort sometimes, or we all need understanding sometimes. We all need justice sometimes. So I think again, like, why I like the song so much is because it really brings together all the things that she's talking about on on the album. I think. I think it's I think if you took out Waking the Witch on the ninth wave, honestly with any part of it, but especially Waking the Witch, I don't think you'd have what you have. I really think it bridges it together that Waking the Witch is like the it's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Do you want to live? Yes. Even though you've gone through horrible things, yes. Even more so. And then you wake up in the morning. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'll get there. We're going to get there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's worth it. Like, go go for it. I was thinking of if you're, would this be, now that you have a different kind of more insight into the song, was Waking the Witch a top five selection on Hounds of Love before you got the insight? It was not. Um, in Would fact, it be now? I'm maybe. That's a hard top five to crack. Yeah, because I mean, I'm actually looking at. I, I'm a dork, and I have my rankings for every song on Hounds of Love, and like the the top five, the four of the top five are from the first side. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard top five to crack. Mm-hmm. And also, like, some... it's just, it's not a song. It, it is a song that is very much part of a greater story. So hearing it without any context, like I did on Flashback Alternatives, you're just like, okay, which trials, what, huh, what's going on? Yeah, don't you find also, not just with Kate, I, I know it happens a lot with Kate for me. But it happens with other artists, too. If I listen to the last song on certain albums first, I can't listen to the rest of the song, songs that, at that point in time. Hmm. So, like, if I were to put on Hounds of Love and I accidentally hit the last track, it would be, I would get this feeling that it's over and I'd have to wait to listen to the rest of the song. I wouldn't be able to listen to the album at that time. And that also mm. happens with the dreaming. If I put on, like, if I just wanted to hear Get Out of My House, I wouldn't be able to listen to the rest of the song. Because mm. it's so final and it wraps up those albums so well. And on a side note, voice for Pelly Twinkle. Once I hear Twinkle, I can't hear the rest of the song. But oh. um, it's, it's sort of, like, so final. So, like, Waking the Witch is very much in its own context. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a song that, I mean, I haven't done it. I love the song, but if I want to listen to a song that's within the ninth wave, I just put on the ninth wave. Even if it's Hello Earth, I just wait to get there. I never just pick Hello Earth on its own. I've never made playlists where only one song from Hounds of Love has been on because it's too connected to it itself yeah 
The, I will say I have done that before is in the sense of making a playlist in iTunes of my top 20 songs from six of my favorite artists. I call it 20 from six. And one oh, song. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it, and it's really cool. If you, I, ever, if you ever run out of, a, this is for everyone. If you ever run out of ideas for a playlist, that's what you can do. And it makes it so interesting because, like, my top six favorite artists, in some ways they're similar, but in a lot of ways they're very different. So it it always makes it interesting. Like, I'm never quite sure who or what is going to come up next. And within my top 20 Kate song, favorite Kate songs, I have In Dream of Sheep. Wow, don't you... <laughs> Don't you want to hear the rest of the ninth wave though when you hear it? I do sometimes. Like if I'm sometimes. in the right okay. yeah, if I'm in the right mood, like I just want to sit down and be completely immersed in something and not pay attention to anything else, then yes, I do like having it on, just playing it all the way through. But in Dream of Sheep, I feel like it I feel like that one can work on its own. Not not completely. But it works better on its own than something like Waking the Witch. Even that, even with uh, In Dream of Sheep, even Tori has covered that song just in a set, in concert, and it works. <laughs> yes, it does. It's very final. And the way, the way, I don't know how to describe why I feel this way, but the way that she sings the song, she sings it as though it's a standalone song. Mm-hmm. She sings it as though it's not connected to anything else because she didn't write the song. She didn't, she didn't create the ninth wave. No. She took a song from the ninth wave and sang it, which is a very different vibe. And this is really the first time that she's written something that where the songs are very much connected and threaded together through one big story. Yeah. Cause you know, if you look before, her each of her songs were always individual stories that didn't call back to each other you know we when you look through any of her albums prior to hounds of love um and especially the b-sides like the b-sides very um very distinct stories of their own mm-hmm. and they're not on an album like that that's really great like you get complete pictures. Her B sides are no throwaways. <laughs> they are no. no like oh my god. Oh, this just this just didn't make the album, or it sounded too similar to this song. Like you don't get that with Kate. When you when you go into the B sides, you get very deep stories, but they don't talk to each other. Like the people in Rantan Walls wouldn't know the people in I don't know um, My Lake and Love. Mm. They don't interact. They have no, they're a separate world to themselves. Um, even in the first side of the Hounds of Love album, each, I could argue that each of the songs are about some type of love, but they still aren't connected to each other. They're different characters, they're different worlds, they're different time spaces. Right. With Ninth Wave, another reason why it's so brilliant is because she didn't do that again. I mean, until Ariel, maybe, arguably. Yeah, not until Ariel. Not until, yeah, not until Ariel, I would say. Um, but then, you know, you go to the next album, and she's right back to talking about individual stories. 
So the treat of the ninth wave is that she was able to focus and say, how could I take one character through different stories and even maybe put some of herself in it? Like I was saying earlier, I feel like this song has like kind of hope in it and saying like, this isn't the only thing in your life. And even though you're kind of, you're drowning or, you know, you're dying maybe in the water. Um, <clears throat> I know that you had bad times in your life, but it wasn't the only thing, but you have to remember these times. So they're a part of you and, you know, they're part of the struggle. It's what you've overcome. So keep fighting. Like you fought through one thing, fight through another. Mm-hmm. So I love that, that it's connected, but you know, waking the witch, like, it could never be a single, let's say that. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's going to be the last thing we're going to pick as a single or any kind of promo on its own. For real. You know, it would have to be a really special circumstance for someone to come up with why would we use Waking the Witch as a standalone video and single. Yeah, the only other version of this song is the live version from Before the Dawn. Like, there's no... There's no single version. There's no remix. There's no nothing. No. <laughs> I I mean I know that there's a few people out there that you know what would have they what would have they what would they have done with Waking the Witch to make a remix of it. Uh. I mean you'd have to really like. I don't know how many people could take that song and like do something more interesting or bring out a different aspect of the story no because it's it's pretty strong on its own (laughs) yeah i mean are you gonna do waking the witch dub (laughs) like you can't like you can't do you can't really break it apart at all Mm -mm. that's what's so unique about like going back to what i was saying about the song structure it's so unique that you in a lot, because of a lot of her songs, you can't discern what instrument is doing what at what time. And that's a lot of her catalog. Um, But also, um, you shouldn't be able to, because it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. The lady's having a nightmare, or she's having some out-of-body experience, or some time travel, that she's back living a nightmare in what she's going through, but that's the whole point of a nightmare. You can't control anything. And so I know I'm always reading into things, but I really think it says a lot about Kate is that I'm going to produce a song because it's so chaotic and it's so nightmarish. I'm going to produce a song that you can't really escape from. Now, I don't know if that's her process that she sits down and says, I'm going to make a song that you can't escape from. I think it's a little more intuitive than that. But she does it, and a lot of times, even when people want remixes or some kind of reimagining, I don't think I don't think this song invites it, and I think it's kind of wrong to change the way she structured it. I'd be really against kind of someone trying to go in and say, "Let's do it this way." The only, really, when this was done for Before the Dawn, the only thing that's really different about that version 
is that the there are more sounds at the end of the song with the helicopter coming through the theater and the people talking about like oh yes we're looking for the crew or we're looking for we've got everybody but there's one woman we're looking for and we're still we're still looking for the last survivor of the celtic deep and that that's like the only thing that's different it's just the extent of that and of course that's so it can go into the next thing because there was a skit between waking the witch and um uh watching you without me have you heard the before the dawn live version I have heard it. I haven't heard it that often. I didn't listen to it that much, but I have heard it. Real, honestly, not much different. It's just that the drums. Honestly, I kind of like the drums a little bit better on the live version, probably because it's just it's live and it just sounds a little bit more like really threatening. And I've noticed that the the demon voice you can actually understand him. <laughs> Yeah, that was the only reason I know, and I don't remember how I got them, but the only reason I ever knew what that voice was saying is because I got a hold of the lyrics for some, from somewhere. I don't remember if they were in the vinyl version or they were somewhere, but I got a hold of the lyrics back then when I first started listening to it because half of the things I couldn't understand. Yeah, same here. Like every time we've talked, we always say, like, there's Kate speak. Like, I know it's her tongue mixes English differently sometimes, and it kind of comes out like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about at all. And that was one of the cases that I'm glad that I had the lyrics at the beginning, because I don't think I could have gotten into the song as much if I hadn't. Because I didn't know anything about the folklore, about the drowning and like the things they the supposed test that they would do to women to see if they were witches or not. Mm. So all the references to like drowning and like the heavy stones and mm-hmm. um, black bear, I didn't know anything like that. So the only reason like you can hear him accusing and it's like, Oh, he thinks he's a witch. It's like Salem witch trials. So I'm happy that I had that because that demon is very hard to understand. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background. It's like you're saying like crazy stuff, but then I also there's also like this huge cacophony around you that's just like booming and crashing and you know vibrating. Like it also seems like it doesn't feel like music at times. It feels like an attack of sound or something. Like it's so disorienting sometimes it fits with the nightmare that she's supposed to be depicting in this song with somebody woman living a past life and you're you know you're about to be killed yeah yeah I mean, crazy song <laughs> i mean this is such a production kind of song but i will say that i really like 
the way that she sings the different lines about the blackbird, like help this blackbird. I just love how her voice soars on that line. Gee, like a bird. And especially the way that she sustains it at the end. about this but the way that she does the different pitches because even just when she's singing and it's not effective she sings it different she sounds differently at different times through the song like the way she's singing things and I always wondered if she was trying to kind of depict the, um, what was going on in her thoughts as opposed to what she was saying out loud I think so. I think it was definitely that. Because it doesn't see, it seems like she's trapped. I think the singing part is that she's, she's seeing what's happening, but no one's listening to her and no one's going to save the blackbird. Mm -hmm. And so in kind of like in her desperation, like in her mind, all she can think of and all she can say is, Oh my God, please stop this. Mm-hmm. But I always took it as like, it's kind of internal. Because no one's listening to her. Everyone thinks she's a witch. She's already sentenced. She's done with. Like, her fate is sealed. Mm-hmm. But no one listens. No one's listening to her. No one wants to hear what she has to say. Because supposedly, they all know 100% that she's a witch and evil and deserves to die. And so it adds to the helplessness. Like, I don't know. It's. Horror movies don't scare me. Real life scares me. And I know that that happened. I know that was a real thing. And to imagine being kind of transported and witnessing things like that, it's pretty nightmarish. Wow. I'm just looking at the time here. I'm like, dang, we've been going for over an hour on this song. Awesome. <laughs> okay, we have. Okay, I was. Yes. It, it, there wasn't as much like points to hit with it because there's not like there's only that one like live stuff and then yeah and the live version is good honestly i mean what what i've seen of it i'm gonna be honest somebody in the audience putting it on secret places that's where i found it and the the live version doesn't sound terribly different from this version, the album version, except that the drums are punchier and there's the extended stuff with the the 
uh, guys in the helicopter. And the way it's played out on stage and what I can see, it's very literal. It's her, you get somebody who's looking like he's a priest or a judge or something. And like when he's coming out with a, you confess to me, girl, and she's being dragged around. And then at the very end, with the helpless blackbird, she falls through, falls through a trap door on the stage, it looks like. And then a little, and then about 30 seconds later, somebody pops up looking like a bird. It's, it's very literal. It's, it's not, it's not quite what I, what I would have wanted, but it's, it fits. Yeah. You know, you're on stage, you can only do so much. Yeah. That's why when I was talking earlier about, it would be the crown jewel to have this on film. It needs, she's not, with few exception, I know we talked about Coffee Homegrown is definitely like small theater. Yes. If she, oh. she could, I mean, it's designed 100%. Like I said, set up the camera, get the dancers, sing the song, and it writes itself. But Coffee Homegrown writes itself on a 400 seat theater stage. Things mm-hmm. like this do not. <laughs> They're not made for the stage. They're made for the cinema. Yes. That's the nature of the beast. That's where we need to go with it. So, yes, it was great that we saw it live. I did not see it live. I wasn't able to go. And the few things that I've seen online were such horrible quality that I couldn't make anything out, either from the sound or the video. So I didn't even bother watching it. The um, audio stuff, I've heard more, but it's hard without the visual component because Kate is so visual. I know. And that's just, if I could, like, the one big thing, issue I have is that, you know, you need to release this before the Dawn DVD so we can see this and have the visuals that go along with everything. Because, yeah, you got the audio, but... I'm going to be honest, the skit that comes after this one, it doesn't seem to make sense to me, and I want to be able to see what's going on. Yeah, it's like watching it. It's like listening to um, the soundtrack to a musical without having ever seen the musical. It wouldn't be a musical on stage if I didn't need it, if I didn't need to see it. If it were just music, then I would just listen to the album. It wouldn't be a show. But it is a show, so I need to see what's happening on the screen to understand the songs fully. That's why I've never listened to um, The Light Princess, because I, it enrages me that I don't know what's going on. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's a Tory thing that I've never even touched. I've never even attempted um, Light Princess, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like I'm at the theater wearing a blindfold. and like, why can't I see anything? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. So I've never... I've never attempted to listen. And it's kind of the same thing I kind of gave up with before the dawn because it doesn't make sense.
Thank you for listening to this week's show of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, we're leaving behind Waking the Witch, and next week we're going to go into the fourth track from the Ninth Wave Suite. I'm going to be calling all the way to England to talk with Alex Dale about Watching You Without Me. Now, as always, if there's a song you'd like to top up for a future episode or you know something else about this week's song that we didn't get to, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast, on Twitter at strangekatecast, and on the web, kbcast.linkmedia.com. Also, we have a Patreon, so if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash katebushpodcast. You can see what kind of rewards we're offering for your support of the show. So join us next week for a discussion of watching you without me. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.